We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. see the success and the accomplishment, the achievement. I mean, Solomon was a master architect, designer, builder, entrepreneur. He was very successful. He had all the wealth and wine and women that you could possibly imagine. I mean, he had accomplished everything and accumulated so much. And yet, he gets to the end of his life. And he realizes just how empty he is. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ecclesiastes. Solomon accomplished more than any man could hope to. He was given great wisdom and authority and used it to realize all of his ambitions. Even so, after all the great accomplishments, at the end of his life, he realized he was empty inside. Pastor Gary challenges us to find where true worth resides. It's not in the things we accomplish or how much money we make, but instead our value is in Christ. Through him, we gain the salvation to enter the kingdom of God. It's there we will find our purpose, praising our King, Jesus Christ. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, with part 2 of his message, A Full Life on Empty. Reminds me of the story about this older couple that was taking a stroll on the beach together, and they stumbled upon a little bottle. And they pulled the cap off the bottle, and out came a genie. It's a a true story. Go with me. (laughs) And the genie looked at the couple and said, you each get one wish, ladies first. And so the wife said, well, my one wish, my one wish would be that I'd get to spend the rest of my life with my hubby here on a deserted tropical island, just the two of us. And poof, in that moment, they were both on this beautiful deserted tropical island. And then the genie turns to the husband and says, all right, now it's your turn. And he says, well, seeing as how we're both 60 years of age, and now that we're alone on this tropical island, just the two of us, my wish would be that my wife here would be 30 years younger. And poof, he became 90. (laughs) Be careful what you wish for, my friends. Anyway, so Solomon here, he's very careful about what he asks. And even though he's like 16, 17, I mean, he barely has his driver's license at this point. But he says, here's what I want, God. What I want is wisdom and discernment so that I can properly govern these people of yours. He asks for wisdom and discernment. 
And God was so impressed by what he asked. God said, because you did not ask for long life, riches, or the death of your enemies, I will give you the wisdom and discernment you're asking for, and I'll throw in those three as well. And that's what God does. Solomon is a blessed man, and he has wisdom beyond his years. But how many of you understand that God can give you something and you squander it? And Solomon squandered it. He didn't apply his own wisdom that he received from God. A guy who wrote the book of Proverbs didn't even heed his own advice. And he squandered what God had given to him. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, it tells us that he made a very unwise decision. And that was to form a political alliance with the king of Egypt, the pharaoh of Egypt. And to seal the deal in this political alliance, he marries the daughter of the pharaoh of Egypt. That was a very dangerous move. Because A, he didn't trust God to keep peace, and so he had to form this political alliance. But B, because he married a woman who was a pagan worshiper. She worshipped the gods of the Egyptians. The Jews had been delivered from the slavery of Egypt. They had forsaken those false gods. And now Solomon was in effect saying, I'm going to bring all those gods back into my own home by marrying this woman. And he didn't stop there. The Bible says he had an appetite for women. And he formed all these different political alliances with all these neighboring nations by marrying the royal daughters of the kings of those neighboring nations to the tune of seven hundred wives and in addition 300 concubines that's what the bible tells us and the bible tells us that because he married these women who were worshipers of false gods that they brought this false god influence into his home thus into the nation he let them into his heart and thus it corrupted the whole nation and the bible says that solomon turned his heart away from the lord and he started worshiping the gods of the foreign wives that he had brought into his home. And there's nothing wrong with the, the interracial marriage or, or different nations marrying. It's foreign in the sense of they're worshiping pagan gods, foreign gods that aren't real. And it corrupted his own heart. And this is what the Bible says in 1 Kings 11. You don't need to turn. Let me just read it. 1 Kings 11, 1 to 4. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. Your attention for a moment. Question, how many wives does one guy need? I mean, if the men in the room were honest, most men don't even properly meet the emotional needs of one woman. You don't need to say amen, ladies, but I'm just saying. <laughs> so why does he think he could do that with 700 plus 300 girlfriends on the side? I mean, he's the wisest guy in the world, not very wise. Now, those of you who are single, you're thinking, I think the dude's pretty cool, to be honest. You know, 700 wives and 300 girlfriends, bada bing, bada boom. You know, some of you single guys, but all the married guys in the house know that was a stupid move. <laughs> stupid. And can you imagine the conversations happening in that palace? I don't think you pay enough attention to me, really. 
you're always looking at her, not me. When was the last time we ever had quality time? Quality time. You know, that's one of the five love languages. Quality time. Where's your quality time with me? Seriously, when's the last date we had? I don't think your mother really likes me. Does this tunic make me look fat? I mean, I can imagine (laughs) over and over again, 700 times. Not a very smart guy here. Well, their love for foreign gods and his love for these women was a deadly combination. And it brought idolatry into the nation of Israel. Solomon turned his back on God and he introduced idolatry to its worst extent. Under Solomon's reign, they were sacrificing children in the Valley of Topheth. They were sacrificing little babies to false gods. Right in in view of the temple of God that Solomon had built. In the valley below, they're sacrificing little kids. That's how far Solomon has turned away from God. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 11, verse 9, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. But Solomon carries on like nothing's ever changed. He's making alliances with different nations, marrying the daughters, accumulating a massive amount of wealth. He's building Jerusalem, first his palace. He spent twice as long building his palace than he did the temple of God. What does that say? Then he does build the temple of God, fortifies the city of Jerusalem, fortifies other cities and towns throughout the region of the nation of of Israel, expands the border of Israel to its furthest borders under his reign, accumulates more money than anybody ever did under his reign, uh, expands the military more than ever under his reign, starts digging quarries and opening mines, had so much silver that 1 Kings chapter 10 says that silver was as prevalent as stones in Israel, and it became worthless. He had flooded the market with so much silver that it became worthless. And so the Bible talks about how he turns to gold. I don't know if William Devane was in his ear about it or not. But in 1 Kings chapter 10, it says this, All King Solomon's goblets were gold, and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. The king had a fleet of trading ships at sea along with the ships of Haram. And once every three years, now check this out. The Bible says here, I'm reading out of 1 Kings 10. Once every three years, he'd send out his fleet of ships and and come back with merchandise. Once every three years, it returned carrying gold, silver, and ivory, and apes and baboons. Just because he can. It's like, you know, I mean, when you're bored with life and you got everything else, how about some apes and baboons running around the house? I mean, he's like, he's like living the Jungle Book story. I'm thinking of Mowgli right now. Just like he's got apes and baboons and he's talking and skipping through the jungle and all this other stuff. Now, look, you read all this and you can, you can see the success and the accomplishment, the achievement. I mean, Solomon was a master architect, designer, builder, entrepreneur. He was very successful. He had all the wealth and wine and women that you could possibly imagine. I mean, he had accomplished everything and accumulated so much. And yet, he gets to the end of his life and he realizes just how empty he is. He realizes just how empty he is. He's built so much. He's bought so much. He has married so much. I mean, he has so much 
And yet he, he looks around at all that he has because he, he thought that if I just accomplish this, accumulate this, uh, take this girl to bed, do, do all of this other stuff. He said, if I just, I figured if I just did all this, I'd be happy, I'd be fulfilled, uh, life would be good. And what he ended up really was, realizing was at the end of his life that I can't get no satisfaction. I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried, but I can't get no I'm quoting the prophet Jagger right now. <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction. That's what he, sincerely, that's what he realized. He's like, I have achieved so much. I've done so much. I've bought so much. I'm at the top of my game. I mean, I can't even improve on everything I have. And yet, with all of this, I'm completely empty. Friends, it is possible to live a full life and be completely empty. That is the story of countless people in our world. That might be your story. Some of you are going to identify with this story when we go through the book of Ecclesiastes over the next several weeks, and you're going to be like, yeah, I I get this. I get that. I've tried this. I've tried that. And same thing is true for me. I tried this. I tried that. didn't really have fulfillment. Because you see, absent God in your life, those things are hevel. They're meaningless. It's vanity. God is the only one who brings perspective and value and purpose and meaning. And when he's not in the equation, you can have it all and accomplish it all and be as empty as empty can be. That's this guy's story. And it's a wonderful wake-up call for some and reminder to others of the importance of having God at the center of your life. Now, real quickly, in the closing couple of minutes we have, I'm going to rattle through three quick observations from chapter 1 that Solomon makes. And these are true observations. Here's the first one he makes. He says, hey, time is marching on. Like it or not, the clock is ticking and we can't stop it. Time is marching on. Verses 4 and 5, this is what he said. Generations come and generations go. That's verse 4. In verse 5, he says, the sun rises and the sun sets. In verse 6, he says, The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. Which, which, by the way, is very interesting because he's describing storm currents before we had satellite imagery. But that's how smart he is. He understands wind currents, storm currents, south, north, circular, all of this stuff. But his, his point is, you know, time is marching on. Generations come, generations go. Sun rises, sun sets. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north. Time is marching on, and there's not a thing we can do to stop it. One of the things you'll read with me in our study of this, of this book is that there are, there's a lot of life that is completely out of our control. But we still try to control it, and then we get frustrated because we can't. So if any of you are like control freaks... We're starting a support group here on Sunday mornings called the Book of Ecclesiastes. Because one of the things is we got to get to this place where we are just totally trusting in the Lord because so much of life is unpredictable, random, and we have no control over. And so one of the things he points out to us here, it's a, it's a true observation, time is marching on. We can't change the past and we can't predict the future. But all the more reason why we need God in the center of our lives because... We can give our past to God, and we can trust God with our future. See, and that's the beauty of his role in the element of time. Number two, he also observes here from chapter 1 that nothing is really new. 
Nothing's really new. In verses 9 and 10, he says, What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. Now, notice that phrase there in verse 9, or uh, yeah, verse 9, where he says, Nothing new under the sun. Under the sun. Under the sun is a phrase he uses 58 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. 58 times. And it's very descriptive of his problem. Because he talks about everything under the sun, meaning his complete obsession is the horizontal. It's all about here uh, on earth, under the sun. It's about doing this and doing that and accomplishing this, accomplishing that. And he had no room for the vertical. See, God was not part of the equation. So all of his observations and all of his frustrations was with the horizontal. Good reason. Because this is a messed up world on the horizontal. Which is, which is why we need the vertical, because God has come to rescue us from such a messed up world. We can't fix it. We can't even fix ourselves. Look, I, I know a lot of self-help management books have been written at the gazoo, but the reality is, at the end of the day, the only, the only real fix for any of us is Jesus. And knowing him, and receiving his forgiveness, and his transforming work that he does in our hearts and in our lives... It's about, it's about Jesus. It's about the Lord. We can't change things. We can't fix things. And as much as we think, oh, this is new. This is the latest and greatest. Nothing's really new under the sun. I mean, true, we'll come up with new gadgets. And, you know, we're living in the, in the information age right now. And technology is advancing. And, and we're exposed to a lot more things than certainly Solomon was in his day. But things in general, it is nothing new. I mean, look at styles. Look at how styles come back around. Save your bell-bottoms, friends, because every 30 years they come around. Nothing's new. You know, your teenager's like, look at my new outfit. You're like, dude, I was wearing that 40 years ago. It's not new. 40 years ago. And all these latest and greatest things that we think now we've become so, you know, educated about. So I remember growing up, it was the big deal about becoming more conscious, which is a good thing, becoming more conscious about food things, food things that you eat or shouldn't eat. So I remember the big thing, like when I was growing up was butter, butter's bad. Get away from butter. Let's go to margarine. Margarine's better. And now all these studies are coming out like margarine bad. Go back to butter. You know, grandma was right. I mean, you know, my grandparents lived into their eighties and and 90 and, and they were putting butter on bacon. Do you know what I'm saying to you? It's just, and by the way, bacon makes everything better. It's delicious. You go, Gary, it's going to kill you. I'll go to heaven sooner, but I'm telling you, it's delicious. But, you know, how, how is it? You look, at, you look at previous generations, like, I think Grandma was right, because we went on this big kick about, has to be margarine now. Now it's like, too many chemicals, go back to butter. You know, Grandma was right. I even read this study this week that skim milk is worse for you than whole milk. That the American Journal of Science has published the fact that there are more diabetes problems for those who drink skim milk than whole milk. So grandma was right again. It's just like, now, you know, make sure, though, that it's, you know, the grass-fed. Why? Because now in our milk, we get all the hormones and antibiotics. So go back to the way grandma, my grandma was drinking it out of the udder. I mean, it was, it was, it was utterly ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. Some of you, you'll get that on the way home. That's a little bovine humor there, but (laughs) nothing is really new. We just recycle and repackage things. Nothing's really new. And the third one, we'll close with this. 
no one will really be remembered. Isn't that a cheerful way to end the teaching? (laughs) No one will really be remembered. In verse 11, he says, there is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I mean, it's... It's true. It's like, it's like life is one big exercise bike. You know, you're born and you jump on the bike and then you pedal, 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 and then you die and fall off and someone else then gets on it and they do the same thing. Pedal, 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 pedal die and fall off. Someone else takes your place. Pedal, 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 die and fall off. You get a birth announcement and you get a death announcement. And unless you do something spectacular or end up in jail, nobody cares in the middle. I mean, it's true. Nobody remembers. Nobody remembers. Now, look, obviously, you're going to always remember your friends, your loved ones, the ones you're closest to, people who have made an influential impact in your life. You're going to remember some people. But by and large, what he's talking about here is as much as people, you know, achieve fame, success, popularity, whatever it might be, you know that old saying, enjoy your five minutes of fame because you'll be forgotten. I mean, how how many here honestly remember... George Dallas, Charles Curtis, Henry Wallace, John Garner. Those were all vice presidents. But nobody remembers those guys. I mean, how many of us can remember by name who got Olympic gold medals in the last Summer Olympics? I mean, you might remember a few, okay? I can think of a couple, but by and large, how far back can you go beyond that? How many Olympics can you remember <laughs> and who got the gold? Uh, I, I, can, I can barely remember the names of my high school teachers. I don't, I don't remember who they were. Now, I mean, granted, I, I went to high school in the, during the Civil War, but I still, I can't. There's only a couple. that I, Okay, that person had a real impact. I, re, I remember Mrs. O'Donnell. I remember Mrs. O'Donnell, Mrs. Forrester. I remember some really good teachers, but by and large, don't remember. My wife was even asking me, as we approached the, the upcoming Super Bowl, my wife was even asking me, who was it who played again in last year's Super Bowl? I, I couldn't, besides Patriots, I mean, ah, but <sighs> besides the Patriots, I, I'm like, I can't even, I can't even, I had to look it up, the Falcons, okay, it's the Falcons, but I mean, how far back can you, now some of you, obviously, you could keep going back, Super Bowl after Super Bowl, and you can remember the teams, because you're just that way, you're like a walking encyclopedia of, of sports cast news, but, but, uh, but even, even for those of us who, who like the game, it, it, you have your five minutes of fame, and then you're gone, and it's sad, but it is true, because there's a reality to this about life, and James said it in James 4, verse 14, he said, what is your life but a mist that appears for a moment and then is no more. Now, for us who know Christ, we know that there's eternal life past this earthly existence. But what James was saying was, there's a reality to this fact. that You're here today and you're gone tomorrow as a very tiny, short window of time called life. We are basically a blink on the cosmos of time. And then the question becomes that all of us must face, where does God fit in to this short thing I've been given called life? And how is his relationship with me going to give me the right perspective and purpose and meaning for life that without him I would not have? That's where we're heading over the next few weeks. 
read ahead because in chapter 2, Solomon talks about three common ways that people try to find satisfaction in life, and those three ways fail. So we'll talk about that from chapter 2 next week. We're so blessed to be able to bring you challenging and biblically-based teaching with each new edition of Cornerstone Connection. We hope your faith is made stronger each time you tune in, as well as each time you open your Bible for yourself. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Gary's teachings in the book of Ecclesiastes, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have an extensive archive of teachings available for you there, which you can listen to or watch right online. Feel free to share these with friends and family. You can also download our mobile app to keep God's Word with you as you go about your daily activities. Do you live in the Leesburg area, or will you be visiting soon? If so, we'd like to extend an invitation to join us for our weekly gatherings. We meet each week to spend time in prayer and worship, studying the Bible, and getting to know each other better. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get service times, more information, and directions. You can also call us, 703-771-1500. We love getting to chat with our listeners and finding out how we can be praying for them. That number again is 703-771-1500. Thanks for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again to Cornerstone Connection. Oh!